Hey folks, Preet here. This week we're grappling with a series of major legal and political stories. The Supreme Court has allowed the abortion pill, Mifeprestone, to remain on the market for now. Meanwhile, Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg has reached an agreement with Republican Representative Jim Jordan, and Mark Pomerantz is now expected to testify before the House Judiciary Committee. In other news, the actor Alec Baldwin no longer faces criminal charges in connection with the fatal shooting of a cinematographer on the set of his film. And the Proud Boys trial is finally nearing its end. Joyce Vance and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. Now, the Pomerantz subpoena from Representative Jim Jordan in connection with his, uh, what I think still think is a stunt, his field hearing in New York to complain about Alvin Bragg, a Manhattan DA who has brought criminal charges against Trump. And as part of that ongoing stunt, Jim Jordan has issued a subpoena to Mark Pomerantz, who used to work in the Manhattan DA's office and quit, as people may recall, and I'm sure do recall, over the lack of interest that Alvin Bragg apparently showed in bringing a particular brand of criminal case against Donald Trump. Alvin Bragg filed a lawsuit in federal district court in the Southern District of New York, and the judge was considering whether or not the relief Alvin Bragg saw, which was essentially declaratory relief that would state that Jim Jordan and the Congress had no legitimate legislative purpose in getting the testimony of Mark Pomerantz. It's a big mouthful, but essentially he's saying, look, they have no business doing this. We are a country where federalism prevails and there is no right or entitlement for Congress, a federal branch of government, to supervise, oversee, or disrupt or interfere in any way with a local DA's investigation and prosecution. And he relied on the Mazars case, which we've talked about also, that basically says there has to be some legitimate legislative purpose. And this judge found that there was. Are you surprised by that? You know, I was surprised. I was bullish on Bragg's lawsuit when it was first filed. I liked it a little bit less after I saw the response and the notes from the oral argument. And I don't, you know, a lot of people have said, well, the judge was a Trump appointee. I think her ruling is a fair ruling, a fair read, whether I might have done something different or not had I been in her shoes. You know, I think... Something that's interesting here is that Bragg had originally asked for declaratory judgments, not just about Pomerantz, but also about current employees of his office. And as far as I can tell, this ruling applies only to Pomerantz. I may have missed something, but it seems to me that that was the focus here. And, you know, sure, if this had been Trump bringing a lawsuit like this, instead of doing what Bragg did and dismissing his case after the adverse ruling— Trump would have played it out. He would have played it out forever. He would have gone into the Second Circuit, and courts would have deferred to him, and and they would have bent over backwards to make all the arguments and cross all the I's and, and dot the T's. And here the judge essentially says, you know, when you're seeking an injunction, if you can't show that you have a likelihood of success on the merits, the inquiry is over. As we used to say down here, it's dead right there. And she treats it like she would any other group of litigants and says, 
I'm not granting it. Sorry, you know, no one is above the law, Mark Pomerantz. You've got to go and testify. And I'm, I'm not undone by her ruling. But, you know, I think what happens is that Bragg saw the writing on the wall here and he made a smart strategic choice. It's something that she plays out in her opinion where she says she's not going to rule in advance on whether Pomerantz might be able to assert privilege to avoid answering some of the questions. And so Pomerantz now goes and he does a closed-door interview on May 12th in Washington, D.C., and he will be able to object to any questions and, and to decline to answer on privilege grounds. And then if Jim Jordan wants an answer, it's up to Jim Jordan to go to court in the District of Columbia and have a judge make privilege determinations on a case-by-case basis. And if you're Alvin Bragg and, and now you've won in settlement the right to have your representative from your office in there in the closed door interview as it's going on so that, you know, you're in the room where it's happening, I think you're pretty happy with this outcome. And you might rather be in front of D.C. judges where, you know, familiarity breeds a little bit of um, contempt and they're far less deferential, I think, to congressional sorts of interests than a judge in New York might be. She says something interesting, which... I don't think I disagree with. And she says, you know, this is really what the DA's office filed, a motion to quash dressed up as a fancy federal lawsuit. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. I mean, why not? I don't think he tried to make it be anything else. But I'm still interested to see what happens when Jim Jordan issues subpoenas for current employees of the DA's office. I mean, part of what was going on here, and you've alluded to it, is what privilege still remains with respect to what Mark Pomerantz might say. And she was very focused on the fact that Mark wrote a book in which he talked about various things, including, as she put it, deliberations that occurred within the Manhattan DA's office. You know, she asked the question during oral argument, quote, how does this book, which is chock full of what Mr. Pomerantz calls an insider account, how does it not disclose mental impressions, deliberations at the office the internal workings of the district attorney's office, how is there not a waiver? End quote. And in fairness, I think it's good to say from time to time, you and I and others have said in other contexts that are very similar to this, when there's a subpoena that's been issued to somebody and they claim waiver and they've written a book about some of the issues at hand, we say waiver. We did that with respect to John Bolton. Yeah. Right. And we said that about Mark Pomerantz last week. You know, when you've written a book, it's tough to say you don't have to testify about the stuff you wrote about. So the waiver question probably does not favor the Pomerantz and Alvin Bragg view that he doesn't need to testify. But, you know, the DA's office makes an interesting argument. They say that Pomerantz can't waive their privilege. The judge's response is, well, you could have insisted on reviewing the book before it was released and trying to hold it up. And they did not do that. Um, they acknowledged that, you know, Leslie Dudek, who's arguing for the DA's office, concedes that in oral argument. I have seen some reporting that says that they referred Pomerantz for misdemeanor sorts of investigative inquiries. I'm not clear on what the details of that are. But they largely avoid that question or they skirt it, at least for now. Maybe it comes up again if Pomerantz refuses to answer some questions. But I think we know how this works, right, from watching Steve Bannon and sort of the delta between how DOJ treats Steve Bannon and Mark Meadows. 
when they're both referred on contempt of Congress charges. And the difference is if you show up, if you testify, if you answer the questions that you can in good faith, but maybe assert some privilege, DOJ will not prosecute you, or at least they have not in the January 6th related inquiries. Something else the judge said in oral argument, and I think in the opinion also, that I have been wondering about, and that's the the presence of politics, which she claims is on both sides here. And she says, quote, the court is further unmoved by Alvin Bragg's purported concern at the prospect of injecting partisan passions into a forum where they do not belong. And she goes on to say, by bringing this action, Bragg is engaging in precisely the type of political theater he claims to fear. She elsewhere said, there's politics going on on both sides. Let's be honest about that. Now, I think to equate what Jim Jordan is doing as a member of Congress and holding this field hearing and trying to dig in on, you know, maybe very thin grounds of legislative purpose, but sufficient for this court, and what Alvin Bragg is doing to try to protect his prosecution are not the same thing at all. I agree with that. And and I find this language to be disturbing. And perhaps this is what animates Bragg's decision not to continue with the Second Circuit appeal, you know, that was scheduled for oral argument this week. So they made that decision on the fly. And there's just this little bit of tone here where, you know, I think if you had to show that Jim Jordan was engaging in a political exercise, you could do it using Jim Jordan's own words. Alvin Bragg, on the other hand, is a prosecutor who has indicted a criminal case um, after much deliberation. I think that there is an assumption sometimes that takes place among folks on the right that everybody's doing what they're doing, right? I mean, we see that with Donald Trump for the most part, where he would sort of try to anything that he himself was doing, he assumed others were doing, right? If you were grifting or if you were engaging in sort of voting manipulation, well, you you thought it was okay because you thought everyone was doing it. I think someone like Alvin Bragg, I mean, this is the first black elected district attorney in Manhattan. This is someone who has really a, a great background, despite the fact that he worked with you. I mean, you know, everybody's got their their issues, but I mean, this is somebody with legitimate credentials for the position and who brings a lot of gravitas to the role. And so the way she, with no evidence whatsoever, just assumes that he's engaging in politics, I think is frankly offensive. I got a question. You know, I, I think you and I, if we were in that position, would have taken some action, maybe not this precise action, but some action to prevent the testimony of Mark Pomerantz and the interference with the ongoing case. And you, and you have to take a sure. stand because otherwise it's not going to stop. As you pointed out, today it's a subpoena to Mark Pomerantz, a former employee tomorrow. It's to Alvin Bragg himself or one of his deputies or one of the trial lawyers on the matter. So you have to take a stand and, and put a stop to it. But my question mm-hmm. is, what is there really to fear from honest and truthful testimony from Mark Pomerantz about this. I don't really follow what that fear would be. So Pomerantz is not around when the decision to indict this case is is made. I think that there are legitimate concerns, but you know, it's interesting to note that Jim Jordan is part of this settlement or or maybe I guess in, in his briefs before the judge said that he was not interested in seeking any information that would violate New York laws about grand jury secrecy. So if that's off the table, right, and if 
if Pomerantz has liberal ability to object to anything that falls within that, I think particularly in light of the fact that he's written a book. And if Jim Jordan, you know, what he has said is we are holding this hearing because we want to think about the use of federal funding. Bragg's office has now conceded that some asset forfeiture money could have been used for this prosecution. Okay, it seems tenuous to me, right? But have at it. And then Jordan says that he wants to consider legislation about the indictment of presidents and and perhaps having something that would remove any indictment of a president into federal court. That, too, seems to me to be fair game. Not really sure what light Mark Pomerantz can shed on that. But if they want to question him about that, you know, I guess have at it. Yeah, I mean, the other relevance of the book is not just the fact that Pomerantz himself may have waived some privilege argument or work product argument, but that the DA's office didn't take aggressive action with respect to the book in timely fashion. Why do they care so much now? And then the final point I'll make is, look, I I don't think it's a radical opinion with respect to what the legislative purpose is, but I do think that if this opinion stands, that in, in future cases, when Congress or a committee of Congress issues a subpoena to somebody, the bar for whether or not there's the presence of a legislative purpose is really, really low. And I'm trying to think, what is what is an example of a subpoena that a congressional committee could issue that could not be justified on some bare Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, Thank you for supporting our work.